0: Hi and welcome to the first episode of the Workforce Management Show where we talk through the do's and the don'ts, trends and playbooks on the sprint to excellence in operational execution, leadership and employee engagement with the industry's most accomplished executives and thought leaders. My name is Johanna Fagerstedt and I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Quinix and I've got the big honor of hosting this show. Now, turn off your Slack notifications, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy because here comes the Workforce Management Show. I'm very excited about today's guest, and I was actually starstruck when my colleague Lori told me that she'd managed to get hold of her. A warm welcome, Giselle Ruiz. Hello. Giselle, You most recently served as the Chief Operations Officer at Sam's Club, a $65 billion business where you were responsible for 110,000 associates, 600 stores across the United States and Puerto Rico. And on top of that, you've served as the COO of Walmart US, been the Executive Vice President of the International People for Walmart, and you're currently a board member of Cracker Barrel. And if that's not enough, you've also been listed as one of the top 50 most powerful women in business by Fortune three times. Boom. What a resume. (laughs) Super happy to have you here today.
1: Thank you Uh, so much, Johanna. I'm, I'm very delighted to be here with you. Thank you so much
0: well as a part of the workforce management show we we start every episode with what we call the workforce management icebreaker so that's a couple of short uh short and fast-paced questions where you answer as quickly and as short as possible all right are you ready i'm ready okay Uh, when do you enjoy work the most
1: uh right after lunch
0: right after lunch
1: uh... When, uh, when I can see measurable impact. Mm.
0: (laughs) Great. Uh, what makes a good leader?
1: Uh, the willingness to be wrong.
0: Mm. Oh, I love that one key ingredient to create a happy workforce.
1: Uh, listen to understand.
0: Mm. And your motto in life.
1: Do small things with great love.
0: Uh, And if you were to pick your top three favorite KPIs or metrics, I'm really I'm a data like cruncher myself. (laughs) So if you were to pick top three favorite KPIs or metrics, what would you choose? What would those be, and why? Okay. Okay.
1: Um, Sales. At the very, very top of the list and all the way through, but sales, 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 and then a close second would be um, the customer experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, a close third after that would be, would be associate experience. Um,
0: and how would you measure that or rate that?
1: The associate experience, associate mm-hmm. satisfaction. Um, and I, I emphasize sales, and we'll talk a little bit about this uh, when I describe my journey at Walmart. And so often we kind of take for granted uh, that sales is a number that we always measure, et cetera, et cetera. But when you put it Mm. at the center of your scorecard for everything related to operations or merchandising or associate experience, whatever the case is, it it can really be game changing.
0: Mm. Cool. Thank you so much. Uh, So let's see. Uh, thank you. So if you have any questions for Giselle in this episode, you can write them in the Q&A function and we'll speak about them uh, once we uh, have gone through the presentation and are um, just in the end of the episode. Now, Giselle, you worked at Walmart for 27 years. What brought you to Walmart in the first place and what made you stay for so long? Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> uh, what was What's interesting is that I never went to a Walmart until my first day of work. Um, I was learning about Walmart in my classes at the university, in my retail management classes and learning about the story of Mr. Sam and and this vision that he had, Um, he was fulfilling his American dream. And that is when I actually grew to really understand and learn about Walmart. And I was really struck by the story but felt it was very relatable to watching my own parents fulfill their own american dream and that's how i ended up at walmart
0: wow and what made you stay for for so long 27 years is it's quite a time
1: well you know i was uh, very fortunate that i was a great fit with the culture or maybe the culture of walmart was a great fit with, uh, with my own background and upbringing. It's a, it's a really fantastic company um, that allows you to really do what, uh, what you need to do. And the opportunities within Walmart are so broad and vast. And when I joined the company back in 1992, we were growing so rapidly. So these opportunities were very real for me to continue to take on more and more responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, I also had the opportunity to to work in different disciplines within the same company. So it was always fresh, it was always new, it was always exciting. And I felt like I I could continue to grow uh, personally and professionally um, while still at Walmart all those years.
0: Mm. Wow. Now, I heard that you retired or retired in 2019. Uh, but today you serve on several boards. You're with uh, Vital Farms, a certified B Corp specializing in ethically produced food, Cracker Barrel, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, you were also recently named a board member at Univision Communications, the leading Hispanic media company in the US. Uh, you're a part of the Retail Management Institute at Santa Clara University. You're involved in supporting the Hispanic community through several organizations. And you're also advising on topics such as diversity, inclusion, and workforce transformation from time to time. That doesn't sound like retirement to me. <laughs> what what keeps you going?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, when when I started to talk about my um, completing my career at Walmart. I always knew that full-time retirement was not for me. And I hope that you can see a, a, a photograph of my family. Um, frankly, I've worked since I was 12 years old. Both of my parents were small business owners and, and uh, both my parents were Spanish speaking first. I, I'm Spanish speaking first. And so just by virtue of need, they, uh, my parents had me and my sister help with both businesses So I've been working for a long time. I actually love to work. And as I was completing my career at Walmart, I knew I was too young to just sit on a beach and stare at my husband uh, for (laughs) too many hours. Um, I really love getting up and going to work and uh, kind of chasing the opportunity to make a difference uh, and to really contribute in some way to either an individual or a team or an organization. my retirement is the best of both worlds. You know, I get to do what I love, and at the same time, I can spend a lot of time with uh, the beautiful family that you see in front of me. I've been so fortunate um, when when it came to what comes next. I had an incredible partner, my husband Mike, of 27 years. Um, two beautiful, smart. Um, Ambitious daughters, Luciana, who's a senior at Northwestern University with an engineering degree. In case you're hiring, please let me know. <laughs> this year. And uh, our youngest, Caitlin, who is a freshman at SMU and she'll major in psychology and uh, marketing.
0: Mm. Wow. Um really cool and uh super impressed by by you and your career and uh yeah and all the energy to put into that it's uh, a lot you. of things going on <laughs> yeah it's funny to go from kind of
1: the all consuming life of operations you know at Walmart well. to now today my my biggest challenge is not to embarrass my husband or myself on the golf course because my golf game is awful
0: <laughs> So uh, thank you. So in today's episode uh, of the Workforce Management Show, we'll deep dive into something that we at Quinix are deeply passionate about. It's operational excellence and workforce management. And I'm really looking forward to listening to your journey and learnings from Walmart. Um, Where do we begin?
1: Oh, thank you, Joanna. Um, and like I said before, I'm very excited to join all of you and uh, just share my learning journey at Walmart around workforce transformation. I, I have to start with a little bit of a disclaimer I'm not a spokesperson for Walmart, and nor am, am I a spokesperson for Quinix. But but my example of one is is an actually really good example for companies that are struggling with this idea or, or this question of workforce transformation and what it means to them. And so my hope for today is that you will see yourself somewhere in the journey I'm about to describe and that you'll be able to glean away maybe some best practices Uh, Maybe avoid some of the mistakes that I made uh, at Walmart and maybe take away a few ideas, something to inspire you uh, to take on your own workforce transformation in your company, no matter where you are on the journey. So that's my hope for today. Uh, I have to start with uh, kind of when I joined the company, just to paint a picture of how far that we've come uh, the last 26 years. And I joined the company in 1992. And like I said before, we were studying Walmart in my retail management classes. Um, My first real job out of college, uh, first time I ever stepped foot in a Walmart store was my first day of work. I had only learned about it in books um, and in, in my classes at university. Well, the company was growing very rapidly. We still were very set back in terms of how we thought about our workforce and how work gets done at Walmart. It's no surprise to you that back then in the early 1990s, everything was very manual. In fact, we uh, still ordered merchandise with a pencil and a piece of paper and had someone do a 10 key to key in all of our orders um, back then. And we didn't have any real idea um, of space in in the stores for promotions. Um, In fact, the way that we received our direction in the stores was uh, through a mailbag once a week that gave us directives. We call them uh, either golden rods or priority notes. Now, you take that scenario Mm -hmm. and you fast forward to today, I would uh, I would enthusiastically argue with you that Walmart is one of the most technologically advanced grocery store chains in the world. Um, I had the great fortune of being part of very early experiments in uh, online grocery pickup, which I would say today is best in class. Mm. Um, the walmart is a leader in terms of the digital experience for customers and members either at walmart or sam's club where you can shop uh the stores and the clubs on your smartphone or on your iphone and uh even not have to go through a, a cashier so a lot of advancement in technology there and then i i have to mention our supply chain Everything from, you know, farm and factory to store to the customer's home and being able to fulfill uh, that promise all the way through. And then Walmart, if you keep up on Walmart, you know that they are continuing to invest, and we have invested heavily over the last several decades in building uh, an expertise in data, in business intelligence, and artificial intelligence, blockchain, etc. Uh, to really stay out in front of changes and be able to serve the customers in the way that we we need to serve them to have a fantastic experience. Uh, So that's the picture of then to today and what I thought I would do is just kind of cover the different stages and the pros and cons of each stage because I don't know where you are in your journey. Uh, but as I said before, I hope that you can glean maybe some best practices, avoid mistakes, or just hear some thoughts and ideas that will inspire you uh, to think about workforce transformation. Uh, Now, a lot has happened in 26 years. I'm only going to talk about kind of three very distinct stages at Walmart. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I I think I'm gonna start with just standardization, which was back in the early nineties, because this one, is very familiar, right? Um, especially to someone in, with an operations background. Maybe you're an operator. It's the one that we fall in love with the most because it's easy. There is uh, there's a discipline to it. There's you know conformity. There's control. Everything is very it's fixed. It's static and for an operator back in 1992 guilty 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 uh (laughs) it was nirvana right uh you have you have absolute control and this very much for for walmart looked like uh you know again fixed schedules uh fixed schedules by role and uh kind of standards for performance. And if I had to do pros and cons for both uh, for, for standardization, I would say there's, there's continuity in supervision since mm-hmm. your people only work the same shifts day in, day out. Uh, it is easy to communicate to control communication, to uh, disperse communication. Etc. And one could argue that it's much easier to hold people accountable to uh, productivity standards. Mm-hmm. Um, the downside of standardization is that it's really focused around cost and outputs. Um, so somewhere in uh, in standardization, let's take productivity for example. When there are fixed schedules uh, the associate may be there for a set amount of time and it doesn't matter whether the workload, you know, it's, uh, expands or contracts. The productivity is pretty much, uh, pretty much the same. Um, Mm. there's a lot of monotony for the associate in that case. And that's what we learned at Walmart was that our associates actually really wanted more flexibility in the hours that they work. Uh, And then accountability is kind of a two-way street. Um, It's a lot more task-driven. The focus was really around task, was really around um, uh, driving those outputs. uh, And somewhere in the conversation, you kind of lose sight of the customer experience. Mm. It's easy, Mm. it's easy. There's a discipline, there's a control, uh, but it's not necessarily, your folks aren't there necessarily when the customers need them the most.
0: And what would you say was the biggest paradigm shift the company had to make to move away from standardization?
1: You know, I think a, a, a big one is just the mindset that standardization is cheaper or standardis- standardization helps reduce costs. Mm. Um, I think that's kind of an old way of thinking Um, And then I would say, uh, you have to get rid of the idea that that standardization fits all, right? We Mm. have a very, very diverse fleet of stores and clubs, um, diverse from geography, urban, suburban, rural. Uh, There are a lot of dynamics, and uh, especially tied to the customer that really got lost in standardization. Mm-hmm. It really is about one size fits most or one size fits all, and I think you lose uh, a lot of the agility and you lose optimization of your workforce when, when you, um, when you stick to standardization.
0: Mm. And what would you say were the hurdles that Walmart then had to overcome to, to shifting to more, amply, flexible scheduling? <laughs>
1: Well, I think the biggest one, and I'll talk, um, I'll talk about it next. We can move to, um, flexible, mm. more flexible scheduling. And that is the idea of control. Mm. That is one of the big, biggest hurdles. It's you start to kind of move away from, uh, control conformity, um, you know, disciplines and start to introduce flexibility. Well, flexibility means you, you are, you you're giving up some of that control. You're kind of loosening the guidelines and building a freedom within the framework. Um, Around the the late 1990s, that's when we started to introduce the idea of having our associates share with us uh, what their availability was. And we strongly encouraged our associates to be open to evenings and weekends, uh, but ultimately um, they would fill out forms and tell us when they were available to work. Mm -hmm. Um, At that time, we were also building the the capability to understand uh, forecasting, uh, demand forecasting. And that was early stages and that demand forecasting would then produce what we called preferred schedules. Mm. Well, we tried to we tried to kind of swim in both lanes. We we started to introduce data forecasting demand. We started to ask our associates what their availability was, uh, but we then also gave our general managers, our store managers, and district managers the autonomy to be able to adjust the preferred schedules. So there was this, this back and forth you mm. know, uh, trying to develop a system that could predict uh, when our associates needed to be there to serve our customers and get work done. But at the same time, still have the operations team felt like they had control or autonomy to be able to make adjustments to the preferred schedule. Mm. And, so, and did
0: you, did you immediately get, saw any results from kind of giving that freedom to them?
1: Um, there were positive and negative results. Mm. And I think this is when you try to live in both worlds, uh, especially with the diversity among our fleet and among our, our teams, we really saw uh, some of the challenges that came with that. So some people were much more creative when it came to their autonomy than, mm-hmm. than others, and the preferred schedule often got lost. <laughs> uh, I'll just uh, try to put it in a nice, in a nice mm-hmm. way. Um, and then they were really, they were trying to solve for what was right for the customer. There were some cases where we didn't have enough associates that were available on evenings and weekends. So what do you do when you have these gaps uh, on, a, on a Friday night or you know a Saturday afternoon uh, when we have increases in traffic? And then the demand itself was limited. We were still evolving and collecting that data. So we had a lot more data on a, to help us forecast the front end. We had a lot less data less accurate data on actually um, the workload, what happens in the stores. And so, this, and, and by the way, this is not a criticism at all. Mm-hmm. I'm sharing with you our growing pains uh, mm-hmm. because you will go through them mm-hmm. <laughs> as we did. And uh, it wasn't, uh, it was about learning and refining and getting better and perfecting Uh, during those very difficult times. And there was a big challenge around just change management. Mm. How do we go from- That's a part
0: of the journey, right? To finding that way. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, That was, we were trying to fulfill the promise, right? Tell us when you're available to work and we will schedule your availability. Mm. And then you're faced with a gap. Yeah. What do you do then? Or uh, trust the system. We would tell our operators, trust the system. Um, but when you're having to face long lines at the front checkouts, yeah. it, you know, it's very hard to trust the system then. Mm. So uh, the change management piece was was a challenge.
0: Mm. And then from flexible scheduling to, to optimization, I guess, what would, be, uh, what would what would be the drivers to taking yeah. that next step?
1: Yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about that. And I'm going to add one more thing, uh, just about the flexibility. What we made the mistake of of not actually keeping in mind what type of work we were adding trying to introduce this new flexible scheduling. So um, I'll talk uh, specifically about that. We asked our management teams to then input forecasts, input forecast for the week, input forecast by day. We asked them to enter uh, potential new associates. So they had to learn how to forecast turnover, leave of absence, vacations. Um, that required them to sit in the back office and key away on a laptop and try to figure out how to do this when we... we weren't asking them to do it before on the associate end you fill out a form with your availability you take that form to the assistant manager the assistant manager takes it to the personnel manager the personnel manager keys it in if i have a change in my availability i fill out another form (laughs) you know and and the cycle goes and goes and if if you take a quick time out uh we were asking our associates and our management teams to do an awful lot of administrative work, mm. uh, which kept them off of the sales floor and kept them away from driving, driving sales, serving customers, and really doing um, doing what, what we all should be focused on doing, which is serving mm. the customer. Mm. Um, So in retrospect that it was quite clunky. (laughs) (laughs) It was very clunky and and we learned an awful lot for the next iterations, I'll say. So optimization, Um, now this isn't an exact one, two, three. There's a lot of things, a lot of evolution that happens in between, but uh, just for the sake of time and covering just some high points in the the journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, utilizing technology, artificial intelligence, digital platforms, to partner with our associates to get work done, and most importantly, serve our customers, uh, the 265 million customers that walk through our doors every week, uh, that was a real game changer. And if I had any advice to give to Uh, the companies who are listening, is to ensure that you are investing in your future, investing in technology. Um, Your workforce is an asset. In fact, it's your best asset, I would argue. And we, Walmart, had learned that early on and just continued to invest in more full-time jobs, um, higher pay digital tools for them. So working at Walmart, just for sake of exaggeration, uh, is like gaming. I mean, you're going to have a handheld. You're going to do everything digitally. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're going to be trained in short videos on a handheld. I mean, it really is at the forefront of, uh, of these tools. And then the gap between how I live at home with Google Home or Alexa, or my iPhone or smartphone, iPad, whatever you want us to do. It's not that far, there's not a big gap between what I experience at home and what I experience at work. Mm. Um,
0: and then of course- That's not always the case, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: No, it's not actually. And, and that is something to really think about. Mm. Um, if, you, if you see your workforce as a revenue generator, um, which I believe that, that you should really kind of wrap your wrap your head around that versus an expense. Mm. You, you want to invest because you know that's going to help grow revenue. Mm. And when I describe that gap between how I live and how I work, mm. uh, it's a way to keep your associates really engaged. Yeah. It feels less like work and more like regular life. Mm -hmm. How I'm able to make life easier Mm -hmm. at home because I have these apps and I have these tools. Mm -hmm. Uh, Think about about the gap that you have today in your own company. Mm -hmm. How close together is my work experience versus my life experience and how I make life easy for my my family or myself.
0: Mm -hmm that's so true it's super interesting because i think that many would really recognize it Come, you kind of go to work and then you travel 20 years back at time in time <laughs> right and that don't have those tools that you usually have at home so it's yeah super super interesting and good point point. and why would you say what What would be the need to, we touched upon that, but the need to constantly innovate and change the workforce management processes. Uh, Maybe it's something we touched upon already, but why not just rest in in it when things are working well?
1: No, you know, um, first at Walmart, it's in our DNA. Our founder was really all about staying out in front of change and he talked about swimming upstream and staying out in front of competition, staying out in front of what the customers wanted. So I think it's just built in Walmart's DNA. The the other thing I would say is there's a real keen understanding that the human race is evolving and the world is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. And for us at Walmart, there's no such thing as status quo. We are continuing to learn and evolve and build expertise. And if, if you decide you want to stay in status quo, I mean, that's that's OK, too. <laughs> you, might have, you might have continuity. Uh, you might have, uh, you know, there's a certain comfort level in staying in status quo. Um, but you'll soon become an expert in all things irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of really important to think about. Um, It's easy to get stuck in a cycle where incremental improvement is celebrated. And that is not the case at Walmart. We are always uh, really pushing ourselves to be out in front of, of change
0: and that's super interesting and i mean just looking at 2020 and the year of the pandemic when everyone had to really rethink everything right
1: <laughs> that's exactly right and um, you know I'll, I'll i'll just say this now um this is a unique opportunity right because the the pandemic has catapulted every industry into tr- figuring out how to work remotely or how to how to do conduct a business virtually, mm. uh, whether you're in sales or retail or uh, you know a bank, whatever the case is. And I often hear in um, conversations, I, I hear this this idea of going back to normal. I can't wait for us to go back to normal. You know, I can't wait for things yeah. to go back to normal. Yeah. And I would argue that there's no such thing as back to normal anymore. Mm that would be status quo. Yeah. Why not take advantage of the, the, the new pace that companies have learned to deal with, uh, to deal in? Why not take advanc- advantage of the willingness for your employees and, and your teams to innovate and experiment and learn from their failures We have been in a problem-solving mode for more than a year trying to figure
0: this out because everything came to a complete stop. So why would you want to go back to normal? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. And it's it's many similarities with change management, right? And also transforming businesses, if you look at it that way. And speaking about that, what, what would you say are the challenges companies will have to overcome and speaking about the topic of transformation if they are to initiate a workforce transformation like the one that you described at walmart or also being forced into one i guess uh, due to a pandemic for example
1: you know I, I think i'll go back to just when when i when i talk to different colleagues or i talk to, mm. to different companies the and i hear this back to normal uh, mm. it's really important that you take a step back and, and understand what do you really love about back to normal? <laughs> <laughs> and one thing that I learned from moving from working at Walmart to moving at Sam's Club was that uh, was that we, we kind of felt like uh, we did a lot of work to be compliant uh, mm-hmm. around our, our workforce. Uh, and that Absolutely, I'm not saying don't be compliant. That's mm-hmm. very, very important. But how how you get to be compliant is fast evolving, mm-hmm. and so don't confuse bureaucracy with compliance. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of companies really struggle with that because you you can you can build a lot of bureaucracy around uh, the your employment practices um, that will make you feel safe Mm. (laughs) but are not very efficient. Mm. And we are so fortunate at Walmart, we have the best of the best employment teams and HR teams and everyone understood that the mission is much bigger than that. Mm. Uh, There are just so many ways to solve for, um, what is what now I would view as the bureaucracy of employing large workforces.
0: Mm. Interesting, so speaking about the topic of operational efficiency, which is also another favorite topic of ours at Quinix, what are your thoughts on, on operational efficiency? And would you say that there's a risk that operational efficiency gets lost thinking about this I mean this new way of thinking about workforce management or transformation
1: well so great question the it's unfortunately we often think about operational efficiency with cost cutting Mm. right it's a way to reduce cost in fact if you stop and think about it and uh, you know if you did your own Kind of word association with what do you think of when you think of operational efficiency mm. most likely you're going to gravitate towards cost 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 expenses <laughs> productivity uh, and at walmart for many years we were stuck in that um, cycle you know as an operator most of our kpis were centered around cost and uh, you know some productivity measures like sales per labor hour sales per worked hour etc Um, In retail, sales per square foot, if if you work in supply chain, maybe it's about order rates and and on-time shipping, et cetera. So regardless of how you think about operational efficiency, it's typically these outputs um, metrics. And I'm challenging you to think about operational efficiency with an eye towards your greatest asset. I keep referring to your employees as your greatest asset because they are. And the second next biggest asset is your customers. It's Mm. not your real estate. (laughs) Yeah, and I understand that sounds a little bit, um, you know, kind of soft and mushy, but it really is a mindset change. How do you get the most value out of these two most important assets? Mm. And I would say change your thinking from operational efficiency to more operational optimization. Mm. You look for ways to best utilize your workforce. What is getting in the way of your of your associates? What is keeping them from doing their job to help drive revenue? Mm. And uh, so I I use the phrase uh, cut work, not costs. Mm. You know, and it sounds so simple, Johanna, uh, but we are often in love with our processes. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's a real challenge to really take a step back. Um, my best first impression at Sam's club, uh, when I joined Sam's club, and keep in mind, I worked 22 years at Walmart, U S. Uh, was when I entered Sam's Sam's buildings, went back to the manager's office and noticed that they had 12 clipboards up on a wall, another shelf full of three and a half inch white three ring binders, just paper everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I kept asking, what is this for? (laughs) Um, How does this help the member? How much time do you spend on this? Mm -hmm. And so fast forward, I put together a team that were, that was a mix of some headquarter associates, but mostly field associates that helped us blow up all of that work. And we ended up uh, eliminating more than 50% of the reports that we had there, that they had a mandate. (laughs) Go paperless, let's go paperless. I want nothing but a shell in the management office and let's figure out ways to get our managers and our associates back out on the floor. Mm. Again, it sounds so simple. (laughs) I had the benefit of not working at Sam's Club before. Mm. So I could ask, what is this? Why do we do it? What is it for? And if the answer wasn't drive sales, serve members, we
0: killed it yeah would you say that adding that trust would be like an ingredient to put into that process as well to kind of like reduce admin
1: absolutely and uh it was kind of absurd at the time to say take down because they had been there for, for years those those mm. binders the clipboards they had been there for years my mm. predecessors had only kind of refined the look and the feel of the binders and the look and the feel of the clipboards. And here I am, new to Sam's Club, never worked at Sam's Club, and I'm saying, take it all down. (laughs) It demonstrated to my management team that I understood the tug of war that they were going through, right? Mm. Time in the office, time on the floor, time in the office, time on the floor. Um, It demonstrated that I heard them, understood what they were going through, I trusted what they said. So we literally listened to them and said, we're killing all of this. Mm. Uh, and I I went through with it. I did something about it. So absolutely. Yes. Did it build trust? Absolutely.
0: Mm. So it's, it's a lot of change for an organization as well um, with everything that you described. how How did Walmart associate feel about these changes?
1: Well, they loved it. <laughs> 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 These were the Sam's Club associates and they loved the changes. Oh, yeah. Like I said before, it was, it was quite absurd. It was, they had been on the wall for years. So mm-hmm. it seems like the simplest thing. Uh, it was less paperwork, less time in the office, more time on the floor. The, the, the associates felt, felt really good about it it Mm. was much harder to convince my colleagues in the home office that we didn't need all of, all of that. Mm. (laughs) That that took a little bit of convincing, but not much. much. So the, um, I want to talk a little bit about culture and engagement, since you asked me how did the associates feel about Mm. it and over, the last 26 years, uh, I'm sure our our employee engagement journey is very similar to many companies that are sitting on the call, uh, where it's kind of one dimensional. You talk, I listen. Uh, I talk, you listen, <laughs> and you measure you measure it in a very just one dimensional way. Um, in fact the traps that companies often fall into is they look towards their policies and maybe revising policies to help solve for engagement problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you work for a company that, that solves for communication through a company newsletter, and I don't have anything against newsletters, <laughs> uh, but you know it's just not a way to really get to the root of what excites your employees. Uh, my favorite is posters. My favorite is putting an action plan on a wall in the associate break room or in an elevator in the hallway and believing that that's going to change or improve your customer engagement. Mm. Um, (laughs) Again, nothing against posters, but (laughs) it's not the most effective way to to really show your employees that that you get what makes them energized about coming to work every day. So that approach is over, in my view. That approach is over. We live in an emerging experience age. We went through the informational age. This experience age is happening right now. What what does that mean? My senses need to be involved as much as my brain. I want to interact. Mm. Uh, I want to see. I want to react. Uh, I, me, my voice needs to be heard. Um, it's really a fun time, fun time, uh, to be a a manager and executive and try to figure this out for your folks. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is look to how your kids interact, apply how they interact to your workforce. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so for us at Sam's club, I chose to, uh, really involve our field leaders and i mean truly involve them in every major project Um, there is no one at your headquarters that understands front like frontline work better than your frontline employees so Mm -hmm. that was that was a non-negotiable for me and then i'm going to use this example there are many many examples and a lot of work behind this but this was really eye-opening and very exciting. We used a um, platform called Workplace, which acts and feels just like Facebook. In fact, it's by Facebook. Mm-hmm. Newsfeed, timeline, you could react to post, you could comment on post. It took off like wildfire. Mm-hmm. wildfire. <laughs> there is no employee uh, action plan that could have done more good than this one platform that we gave to our field associates. Uh, It became the the way for them to share best practices, to recognize their associates, recognize uh, their members of management on their team. It created uh, some fun competition between the clubs because they were trying to outdo each other. And it also served as a platform for leaders, the regional vice presidents, the market managers, myself. In fact, I chronicled all of my travel on this platform, giving them a <laughs> bird's the eye view of, uh, you know, plane rides out to the field, uh, meeting mm. associates, touring back rooms, and it took no time at all.
0: Mm. Oh, wow. To
1: engage directly with with your associates.
0: Yeah, and right? also with- showing that, I guess also showing that the person behind the title in a way and using that power of social, social networking, right?
1: Exactly,
0: mm.
1: exactly. So, you know, that's that may not be the solution for you. My point is this, my point is uh, there are modern ways that you could use technology as a way to engage and involve your employees. In your mission, in what you're trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. and then let them take off, take off with it. You don't really have to feed uh, the platform very much; they will take off with it.
0: Mm. So, what I mean, just reflecting upon it, is it's quite a journey going from standardization and deciding everything, and I mean to the change of having a social media platform and letting all the employees run with it. Um, Exciting! And what are your thoughts on that? And that having been a part of that journey and driving that transformation.
1: The um, the social pl- the social
0: media part. Yeah, and also going from from standardization and to basically saying, go out, use our social media platform, uh, amplify the culture.
1: <laughs> yes, you you actually really, the way that companies should think about it is how to unlock the creativity of your workforce Mm. uh, that and in a way that helps them kind of move the mission forward because Mm. it's it's really not it wasn't about uh, their personal lives it was all very very much directed at our mission and purpose Mm. so you know you have to be clear on what we're trying to accomplish and I felt like our team was very clear on what we wanted to accomplish Mm. and then you felt this this energy of Associates and members of management posting that wanted to demonstrate to you here is how I'm contributing to the mission. Mm.
0: And uh, I also know that Walmart is, is very strong for having a, or very known for having a strong company culture. What yeah. advice would you have for executives aiming to create that kind of strong company culture? And we just touched upon it a bit as well.
1: <laughs> yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think. I'll just reinforce what I just said a minute ago. It starts with a clear mission and purpose. Mm. And probably next to that, a clear set of values and beliefs. Mm. And I always find it interesting that sometimes companies will focus on uh you know, culture defined by ping pong tables and, and nap pods and free food. And I'm not against any of that. In fact, we had nap pods, <laughs> uh, we had ping pong tables. Uh, We're a
0: bit guilty of that as well, some ping pong <laughs> tables, tournaments.
1: <laughs> absolutely, but, but that's not how you define or strengthen the culture. Those are bonus points. Those mm. are absolutely bonus points. It really starts with a clear mission purpose and a set of values and beliefs that we can all work by, live by. Mm. Uh, I think where a lot of companies miss the mark is uh, paint a real clear picture of the future. Share with your employees your moonshot. Mm. You know, often executives will work on strategy kind of in these back rooms or, you know, now virtually. uh, Mm. and, And we talk to... We talk to analysts uh you know we talk to the media we talk to everybody but our associates about what we're Mm -hmm. trying to accomplish and i think that 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 is one of the most important things that you could do for your company culture Mm -hmm. paint the picture of the future and who you want to be as a company Mm -hmm. Um, short term and long term right Mm -hmm. so that they that you can galvanize your teams to start working towards that. And then uh, the last thing I would say, uh, Johanna, is expect everyone, your current and future employees, your current and future uh, management teams to really live by the values and beliefs. That's Mm -hmm. the big difference maker.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, super, super inspiring. And I get so many ideas here. Thank you. any final comments before we take the questions?
1: You know, um, I think I would just underscore the fact that we are living in a very unique opportunity. So, mm. I I have witnessed uh, companies that are now coming to the realization that they've been dragging their feet mm. on a lot of the advancements and a lot of the utilization of the technologies that and uh, and. Uh, platforms that are available today Mm. they had to figure out how to do this out of necessity survival mode in a year of COVID in 2020 Mm. now is the time to take advantage of this newfound pace and energy and willingness to innovate and experiment Mm. and really move your company forward
0: exciting thank you okay we have quite a lot of questions and um time flies so i'll get to it okay so we have a question here uh giselle so good to see you again as a six-year former associate with walmart serving as market manager director and senior director the main issues with preferred schedules at the time were exactly what you shared with us but perhaps the main challenge for my for many operations was the gap between budgets and preferred schedules. At a higher level, misalignment between organizational departments may weaken good ideas. Uh, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, I couldn't have described it better. Absolutely agree. <laughs>
0: and
1: that, that was also in that in that period of time. First of all, I don't know who you are, but it's great to see you again too. <laughs> uh, in that period of time, that again, it was just about kind of failing and learning, failing and learning. Uh, the systems were not necessarily tied together. He's, mm. He or she is describing it exactly right. So, what was being generated and preferred uh, was not the exact match of what your uh, budget was. Now, mm. if you fast forward to today, it's much better, but this, I think, reinforces why systems are so important Mm. Um, and being able to ensure that systems are working together to provide your associates and your management teams with the best tools Mm. Uh, because that was incredibly frustrating Uh, i remember that vividly
0: thank you another question so how integrated is the operation optimization with a workforce management transformation It sounds like a lot of the operational items can happen within a tool. Uh, No, it can't happen without the tool at all. Which should come first?
1: Oh, can you say that one more time?
0: Yeah. (laughs) How integrated is the operation optimization with a workforce management transformation? (laughs) There's a lot of work. It sounds like a lot of the operational items uh, cannot happen without the tool. Uh, so, which should come first? I guess the question would be: Should you have should should the tool come first, or should you drive the transformation first? What are your thoughts on that topic?
1: Oh, okay. Well, so so I am I am guilty of taking on a lot at <laughs> any given time and really pushing our organizations to at the edge of their capacity. I don't think you have to put one in front of the other. I think you could do them both at the same time if you have the right partner. And you have the right uh, plan. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not for the uh, faint at heart for sure. Mm. Uh, but the way that I would think about that is challenge yourself to really step back and allow as much to be transferred into the tools as possible. Mm. You will not miss a beat. And mm. we did that at Sam's Club. We, we pushed a lot. Onto systems before uh, you know before the teams really even understood how to how to um, how to uh, use the tools. know, mm-hmm. there's ways to solve for that on the back end. Uh, for us, we had feedback loops with the new tools. We had an amazing uh, experience team and product management team that built mm-hmm. in feedback loops that went directly from the user to the engineers you know, again, kill for your bureaucracy. You don't have to go through a bunch of levels of approvals. Mm. The feedback went, the feedback from the user went directly to the engineers. And so we were iterating as things were rolling out. Mm. Uh, my vote would be be bold.
0: Mm. Great, thank you. One more question. Uh, do you think the role of the store worker is changing or will change? If so, how? <laughs> Yeah, you would be the right person to ask, yeah. The store worker? Yeah, the store worker.
1: Yeah, Yeah, our associates in the field, it has already changed.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, I would definitely invite you to shop at your local uh, Walmart and use the tools. You know, do do fill up your shopping cart, please. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But use the tools in your shopping experience, especially Mm -hmm. at Sam's Club. Um, It has already changed. If you'll notice, a lot of our associates are fulfilling orders for grocery pickup mm. and that business is on fire right now. And mm. uh, uh, what, I would, why, what I would expect to see is that more and more retailers will be taking these best practices from leaders like Walmart mm. and finding ways uh, to just be more agile and to use technology even more. Mm. Uh, I think the restaurant business is primed for something like uh, this and uh, fortunate to serve on Cracker Barrel. They are moving very fast mm. in the of technology and how that applies to production and how that applies to service and how that applies to fulfilling curbside orders.
0: Great, thank you. Okay, so last question from the audience. Uh, let me pick one here. Uh, churn of store workers is a big problem in the U.S. What can be done to reduce churn?
1: Yeah, I I have to go back to um, you know this idea when when I describe 1992 versus today. In fact, if you pull up the latest news on uh, on Walmart, their Q4 earnings, you'll see that they came a little bit under fire. Um, for their last earnings report. In fact, our stock price took a hit about, um, about 6%. But Doug McMillan and the team with the support of a board who's thinking about uh, the workforce as a true asset and thinking about this as a strategic move has really showed us that investing in our associates Will help not only drive revenue, but reduce turnover. Um, in fact, my colleagues at Walmart tell me that t- turnover with our associates has gone way down. Which has also increased the tenure and experience of uh, of the workforce at Walmart. And there are so many benefits uh, to changing how you think about investing in your greatest asset
0: mm. um,
1: so yes retail is is always struggling with turnover walmart i think is showing us a new way to think about how to stabilize uh, the workforce and mm. it does require some investment mm.
0: great thank you all right time flies and we need to wrap up one question uh one last question so if uh from 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 myself so if you'd leave us with one key learning from today's episode what would that be
1: oh my gosh wow just one okay um i i would say um have really be bold people be bold. that's the one i would choose hmm. uh, this is not a time to, uh, you know, incrementally get better. It's only this, the, the, it is becoming more and more competitive each and every day. Mm. And the pace of change is moving so fast that if you are not being bold and taking risks and really (laughs) even to the, to the level of absurdity, um, (laughs) just to push the status quo a little bit, Mm -hmm. Uh, you will fall behind Mm -hmm. and there are so many tools out there available so many partners out there available that can help you figure it out so I would say be bold
0: thank you Giselle thank you so much for joining us today it's been a true pleasure having you joining the show thank you so much and uh yeah have a nice day slash evening and uh yeah thank you bye thank you Fix.